0: All right, in case you have not been anywhere in the vicinity of the Bay Area, I want to let you know that the Giants are having a good season, okay, just, just in case you were not aware of that. So what I'd like for you to, that word good, I mean, it's kind of a subjective term, okay, it can be defined in a lot of ways, so take just a minute, turn to somebody near you, introduce yourself, of course, if you don't know each other, and how would you describe good in the context of the Giants are having a good season? What, what constitutes a good season for the Giants? Okay? Go ahead and discuss amongst yourselves. Like I said, I'm going to ask you for how you would define good in that situation. I'm going to reach back to what Suzanne was talking about and the retreat, and I want to tell you what's going to be, uh, what we are praying will be good about the retreat. Uh, so Mark Scandrett, I've asked Mark Scandrett to come and to lead us. And in talking to Mark, it, it um, one of the things that he and I talked about and that, um, I know from talking to so many of you, uh, the last year and a half plus has really been rough for everyone, everyone in the world, everyone in our country, everyone in our church we are We are facing some really, really challenging things, and we'd like to say, okay, great, that's behind us, and now we're just kind of marching ahead and you know like we suddenly dropped this weighted backpack or something. But we're probably still carrying quite a bit. And so what we want to do uh, is to take some time over the weekend, hit pause, and come back refreshed. Refresh is the name of the retreat. That's the one-word title that we've given it. And our, our prayer is that we could go into this retreat being who we are, dealing with whatever it is that we're dealing with. But when we come back Sunday afternoon we're just a little bit more ready for whatever it is that God has for us next. We feel just maybe a little bit lighter, and maybe you just can, can kind of take some comfort in the fact that over the weekend you realize, wow, I'm, I'm not the only one that's had a really challenging year and a half, two years. And so we will uh, spend some time together. Uh, Mark will lead us in some, some exercises, some spiritual exercises that will refresh our soul, we're going to spend time laughing because that refreshes our soul. Uh, we're going to spend time around the table refreshing our bodies. We're just going to have a, a really good time hanging out um, for uh, the whole weekend. And so I'm looking forward to it because I've heard so much about this retreat. So this is going to be my first time. If you've not been, join me as a rookie, okay? Love to have you there. And um, and as Suzanne said, uh, I know that it could be that 220 for an adult or especially if you've got a big family or something like that, that, that could be a challenge. And so don't hesitate to let us know if we can help out because I know that's a, a regular part of uh, how we've supported each other on this retreat. But I am really, really looking forward to it. I did a little reconnaissance mission up there at Alliance Redwoods just to check out the place, and it is beautiful. It is a beautiful place. Um, and I think for our theme of Refresh... Uh, that this is going to be well worth our time. And I'm excited to see who we are as a family when we come back, too. I think this is something that's really going to shape who we are and who we are becoming. So uh, I think it will be good. Now, back to good and the Giants. In a word or a phrase, how would you describe a good season for the Giants? Mary Beth, I'm starting with you because I know. (laughs) I know. Winning, okay? Winning how much? A lot, like winning the whole thing, or, okay, that would be good, okay, winning the World Series would be good, okay, what what else, how would you define good for the, yeah, Darl? Yeah. Oh, okay, all coming together as a team, everybody contributes, okay, that's good, Tony, staying healthy, okay, yeah, that's good. That's that's really important this time of year, especially as people are getting tired. So, yeah. So everybody, it'd, it'd be good if they stayed healthy. Barry. It's been so good having Barry as a part of our church. Uh so uh, just in case you're wondering why that's funny, I grew up in St. Louis. I'm a huge Cardinals fan. And so, um, so that's a great point, Barry, because good is pretty subjective, isn't it? You know, if you're a Dodgers fan, what does a good season look like for the Giants? You know? Or sometimes as a, as a Giants fan, what does good look like? Well, it's good if we beat the Dodgers. Who cares about anything else? Just beat the Dodgers or apparently the Cardinals, okay? Something like that. <laughs> We use this word good with with a lot of things. You know, you have good friends. Um, We're going to, uh, you know, you have a good meal. Uh, Hey, I hope you have a good day. Um, And sometimes we use this phrase, um, I'm living the good life. What is the good life? Okay, now that, that's a pretty broad subject. But we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what a good life looks like. We've been in this series called The Story of God. And it has kind of been our way of helping us visualize this big book of the Bible, the story of God, this big book that uh, consists of 66 books, uh, consists of 1,189 chapters, but they all tell one big story, and that is that God is seeking to bring us back into oneness with him. One of the more churchy words for that would be redeem us or to reconcile us. And so we've been looking at uh, the, the, the story of God. God is the hero of the story, not us. Um, the story is not about us. It is a, it is a story that's given to us. Um, and it's a story where we can see our own stories played out in it. But this story is about God and his love for his people, for all of creation. And so we've been using this uh, this blue band, to represent God, and since these are exercise bands, this does, um, I've started to count my time up here as cardio, um, so I'm kind of getting that out of the way today. Um, these each have like about 500 pounds of resistance, so it's, it's, you know, I really, no, I just totally made that up. Um, so this blue band represents God, and he, he models for us perfect oneness. He existed as one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He existed um, contrary to what this board would represent. He existed from all time. He exists now and he will exist for all eternity. So we have this model for God that he exists in oneness and all that he created was created for oneness. So he created um, He created humankind and that's what this yellow band represents this is what we were created for oneness with God Um, and we experience God created it uh, set it up from the very beginning for us to experience oneness with God oneness with each other uh, oneness with creation and oneness within ourselves which is kind of a way of describing wholeness one of the words that uh, the Bible uses oftentimes for this description of of oneness would be uh, shalom, peace. God invites um, the whole world to come together in oneness. And and if you've been kind of hanging out with us over the last few weeks, or if you're familiar with this story of God, you realize we didn't make it very far into this story before oneness became otherness, before oneness became brokenness and separateness. In fact, we made it two chapters in to this big book, and we begin to experience the fact that um, there is an ache of loneliness that enters into the world. And lonely was something that God um, did not see as a part of the good life. So what I want us to begin with right here is to understand that When we are wondering what is the good life, in this little model right here, we find out about the good life in that little section. In those first two chapters, for the most part, going into the third chapter of Genesis, what God is doing is he is setting the stage for this story. He's saying, I want everyone to experience the good life. And if you're wondering what the good life is, this is it right here. This is it. And there are other places in scripture where I want you to know that there are some things that that God will, he will kind of drop in these stories. And what he's doing is he's explaining to us, hey, this is someone that experienced the good life here on earth, or this is someone who chose a path that, that led to more separation between the life that God created them for. And so we have um, also this desire within us. We are created with a desire for oneness. And we will attempt in many ways, a lot of our actions are really attempts at restoring oneness. A lot of our reactions in life are reactions to the fact that we are in this separated, lonely state. And so we think, well, what can I do to restore that sense of wholeness? In my life, last week we looked at a word, and it was uh, it it talked about one of the ways that God is continually making His way to us, and it was it's the word covenant. We see this all throughout Scripture. Um, God made covenants with His people, and the word covenant means come together. And the the new covenant that we read about um, is what Jesus claims. Uh, That he is the new covenant. And we wrapped up our service last week in a way that similar to what we do most every week. And we celebrate the new covenant of Jesus' blood. We, We partake in a meal that reminds us that we can't restore oneness on our own. We can only receive the oneness that God offers us through Christ. And so we celebrate communion in that way. So this is kind of a, a general flow of what the Bible is describing to us. And I want us to think about the good life. And this word good is used seven times in the first chapter alone. It's a, it's a little word in the Hebrew, Tove, rhymes with stove. And God begins to describe all that is good and why it is good. Um, it begins with light. God says that's good. Um, We see that uh, God points out and creates the sun and the moon. Um, That's good. He separates the land and the seas. That's good. He fills the earth with vegetation. That is good. The seas are teeming with swimming creatures. The air is full of flying creatures. Both. God says, he looks at those and says, that's good. He looks at Um, All of the creatures that are crawling around, that are making their way, moving about on the face of the earth, and he says, that is good. And then he gets to creating humankind, and he says, that is very Tov. That is very good. So seven times this is described for us. And so I want us to hold on to this word, good. Good. If it's used that much in the story, then it must be pretty important. And good, like I said, it's just kind of what we have is, it's kind of bracketed right here for us. And when we think of good, and from what I can tell from the the use of this word good in the Bible in this context, it's talking about things that produce life, that sustain life, that contribute to life, that enhance life. Um, they make life better. And so we know, just from what we've been talking about, that goodness and oneness are going to be the same thing. There is goodness and oneness. And so the problem can be, though, when we think, well, that, that's good, but I wonder what kind of good I can experience down here. Um, it's not like we're just, we're living life and we go, I am so tired of the good life. I would really like to see what the bad life looks like. <laughs> now, there's something in us that says, I I think that if I don't do this, that I'm missing out on something good. And that is really what temptation is. And we're going to look at that a little bit more closely. Temptation is That voice that whispers in your head that says, okay, yes, there might be something that you previously were told that is good, but if you don't do this, you're missing out on what is really good. That's the temptation that we face. And so um, we're going to look at a story that in your Bible is sometimes it's given the heading, the fall of man. And when I think of the fall, I think of like, this is kind of where it's depicted, we read about it in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to in just a second. But I kind of picture it as almost something like this. It's like, okay, yeah, there was kind of a mistake made, but it impacted so many things. There were so many consequences that that were woven into this this one act. And we're going to look at that. And uh, this... this uh, This account of the fall is when Adam and Eve first find themselves no longer in oneness. This is when they first experience separateness or otherness from God. If you have a Bible app, uh, you can flip it open to Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to read the first uh, few verses of Genesis 3, and from there uh, we'll kind of make a few comments as as we go along. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So in other words, he's kind of, the enemy also referred to as the deceiver is kind of planting a seed. Is what God said really the good life? Is that really what's good? Because I'm going to show you something. I Consider this. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, knowing Tove from what is malignant or cancerous is actually what that word evil is talking about. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. We're gonna come back to that. This might be one of the few times where uh, our teenagers wish they had stayed in here, because we're gonna talk about naked. Okay? Can we, can we handle that? I know. I know. They're sorry if your kids aren't ready for this. But anyway, all right. Um, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Maybe you remember that if you were here a couple of weeks ago. God pursues us. Even in our separateness, even in our otherness, God pursues us. God always made provisions for our disobedience. Our disobedience didn't catch him off guard. and He's like, oh boy, now what do I do? God always had things in place, covenants, In case of our disobedience, that was the seatbelt, in case you wreck. It's not put on a seatbelt because you're going to wreck. It's not God loves me anyway, so I'm just going to wreck my life. No, it is in case this happens. God is making a provision. So God is pursuing Adam and Eve in this point of separateness. He continues to pursue his people today. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, this is, uh, just before I read this, I just want to say, <laughs> he's, I'd like to say this is just him being kind of ridiculous, but maybe he is speaking for all of mankind. I don't know. But he says, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Okay, so I want you to see what's taking place here in this separateness. Okay, Adam begins by blaming God, okay? The woman that you gave me. So he's already, so there's the separation. And then he points a finger of blame at his wife. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Now, at this point, ladies, do you think Adam and Eve are walking in oneness? Uh-uh. They may have traveled this part together, but I'm telling you, Adam just realized that there is another separate way to live. This is maybe when God invented the doghouse. We don't really know. There's an implication that there was a bus and he threw someone under it and that did not go well. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate and let me go back to what I was saying before, temptation of almost every kind can be summed up like this. If you don't do this, you're going to miss out on what is good. It's this FOMO. It's this fear of missing out on good is one of the ways that we can think of temptation. Now, I do want to say that temptation itself is not sin, um, the Bible talks about this in several places. Uh, the book of James addresses this more specifically. Uh, temptation itself is not sin. In fact, we, we learn from the life of somebody like Job that sometimes we're tempted because we are living the good life, and it gets the attention of the enemy. But temptation itself does not separate us from God. Temptation only leads to separation when we give in to that and we say, this, actually, this is what I believe to be good. This is, this is what I believe to be good. So when Adam and Eve separated from God, why was nakedness suddenly noticeable? You ever wondered that? Some of you are like, can I, can I admit that in public that I've wondered about this nakedness thing? Yes, you can. Um, Genesis 2.25 says Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So here, that's good. But then, they hid. We read about this in Genesis three. Adam says, "I was naked, so I hid." So, so I got a question for you: um, Is there a difference between good naked? and bad naked? How many of you are Seinfeld fans? This is my really contemporary uh, illustration (laughs) from the late 90's, okay? But Jerry Seinfeld had an episode where he and his girlfriend were just talking about the difference between good naked and bad naked. Is there such a thing as good naked and bad naked? Well. I want us to see what the Bible has to say about it, because I do think um, that there is goodness, and really the focus is not on naked, and that brings us to our next word that I want us to understand is part of the good life, and it's glory. I want us to look at this word glory, because in this is how we are going to discern good naked from bad naked. And I believe that this is really kind of how uh, we could think of uh, this big shift that we see in the life of Adam and Eve. This word glory um, appears all throughout the Bible, and I want to kind of use some uh, specific examples of it from different stories. Uh, we're going to look at one from Exodus, which if we were looking at this as a storyline, would be kind of like right after Genesis, um, Not necessarily like the next year, but in the order of the Bible that we're looking at here. Um, We're going to look at um, glory. Is it related to Christ? Uh, We're going to look at how Paul, in one of his letters, wrote about glory. And then we're going to look, in the book of Revelation, about a future glory that we have waiting for us. So, beginning in Exodus, there's a story about Moses. And this is the story when he goes up on the mountain... To receive the Ten Commandments. So he enters into this dark cloud. He enters into the presence of God. And this is one of the times that he did that. We know that there is a a tent of meeting, as it's referred to, and Moses regularly entered into this tent of meeting. But there was something that happened every time that he did. Uh, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant. Because he had spoken with the Lord. When Moses finished speaking to the Israelites, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he uh, had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. His face was glowing. Now Paul talks about this in his letter to the uh, church in Corinth. He says the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was. In other words, Moses would come out of this time being one with God and it would begin to fade over time. So that's what he's saying, transitory though it was. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? I want you to know that the good life involves glory. In Matthew 17, um, it's a story about the transfiguration of Jesus. He is transfigured. It's uh, it's also um, uh, translated as transformed. It's It's a picture of Um, metamorphosis is what it's rooted in and it's talking about something on the inside is transformed transfigured and listen to this Um, after six days Jesus took with him Peter James and John the brother of James and led them up a high mountain by themselves there he Jesus was transfigured before them his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light, and then one more um, passage in Revelation that helps us see that glory is related to this brilliance, this resplendent, this light, this glowing. Revelation says there will be no more night; they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The great glory of God will illuminate the whole earth at that time so again what happened between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 what happened between Adam and his wife were naked and felt no shame and Adam realized he was naked and he went into hiding what happens here I want you to picture this um Let's say uh, you're outside, it's nighttime, and the only light is a flashlight that someone is carrying as they walk towards you. And as they are walking towards you, um, that light is just enough that it blinds you that you cannot see who the person is. You know somebody is there (laughs) carrying this flashlight, but you don't know who that person is, and it's not until the person steps away from the light that you can see them. Now remember that Moses, after being in the presence of God, after encountering a close oneness with God, he radiated a light, he glowed with the glory of God. So what if, could it be, that Adam and Eve, when living the good life, Adam and Eve before the fall, While in oneness with God, literally glowed with the radiant glory of God. Could it be that they glowed with the radiant glory of God? Could it be that when they looked at one another, that what they saw was just the radiating glow of light? But when they stepped away from the radiant light, It was then that they could see their nakedness and their vulnerability apart from the Lord. When in oneness with God, we look at ourselves and we see God. It's in oneness with God that even when we look at others, what we see is God. We see the splendor and the radiance of God. Adam and Eve in the garden, in the good of the garden, glowed with the presence of God. And Paul goes on to say this in 2 Corinthians 3, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. In other words, he invites us into a life where we glow more and more. We go from one degree of glowing to to another degree of glowing we can be transformed in this way so I don't want you to think of it as good naked and bad naked what it is is are we walking in oneness and we see the glory of God or are we walking in otherness separateness brokenness where we have separated ourselves from God. And this is not, what is talked about here is not just merely reflecting the glory of God, but it is radiating Him from within. In Colossians 3, Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, glowing, shining through us. So let me describe to you what the good life is. And I just kind of spent some time earlier this week dreaming. Do you ever dream of what the good life could be? So I was thinking about this, what God says is good and what God says is glorious. What does the good life look like? And these are a few things that I wrote down. Imagine a world in which you looked in the mirror and all you see is the radiant glory of God. When you look in the mirror, you do not feel shame. You do not feel pride. You don't look at yourself in the mirror and want to hide. No, what you see is the radiant glory of our Creator. I dream of a world in which there is no shame and self harm. I dream of a world where there is no more suicide. I want to be a part of God's redemptive work of redeeming this broken world so that when people look in the mirror, What they see is the glory of God who created everything and everyone good. I dream of a world where there is no hate. I dream of a world in which when people look at one another, they see the radiance of God like shafts of light radiating through one another. I dream of a world in which there is no racial injustice. In that redeemed world of restored oneness and goodness, people of different races and nationalities look at one another and see only the brilliant and dazzling light of our mutual creator. I dream of a world where there is no lust. We don't see another human body as an object to be used for our own pleasure. I dream of a world in which, for example, men look at women and see the light of God. I dream of a world in which there is no selfishness. We don't see another person as a resource that we use to accomplish our goals and get ahead in life. Instead, all we see is the glow and glory of our good creator. That light is why we look at others with love, a love that seeks the good of the other. That is the good life. That is the good life. And we read all throughout scripture, God is saying, I want to restore you to the good life. I want you to experience heaven on earth. I am coming to you so that you can experience the good life. And he invites us to reconcile all things. He invites us into this process of helping the world return to the good life, the ministry of reconciliation. So as we approach the communion table this morning, I want us to think of it this way. Last week, Um, As I said before, we, we talked about the covenant and the new covenant that we have in Christ and his blood that was shed for us. This morning, I want us to remember that Jesus offered his body, his body that was stripped bare and yet radiated the glory of the Father. Let that sink in. Jesus offered his body. John 17, this is the prayer of Jesus. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have get, you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Just right there where you are, if you could close your eyes. And I'm going to ask Ryan and Faith to make their way back up here as we prepare for communion, I want you to imagine that you, when you approach this table, you are approaching the glory of Jesus and the body that he offered to you. As you draw close to this table, maybe your prayer can be, God, I want the glory of your name to shine from me maybe as you approach this table you're realizing um, I've been duped by the deceiver and the good that I pursued really wasn't the good life and this is an opportunity for you to just in your own words and in your own actions kind of a prayer God I want to make my way back to the good life in you And for this to be, for my life to be a light. For my life to radiate the glory of God in this world.